Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Good evening. Good evening. It's nice to see you all. I'm great. Thanks, Sophie, for asking. Very good. Um, I've just been on a... Actually, to ex- further expand on your question, uh, I've just been at Men's Retreat, uh, which was... Yeah, that's right. It was, it was just a fantastic weekend. Um, and, you know, like, I love getting away with the blokes, and we've, we've I've, you know, I've been on the last few Men's Retreats, and it's always a real highlight. And I think for me, usually it's the relationship, but... Um, God just absolutely did a number on me this weekend. Just in, like, in terms of just, we, we do these like hour-long sessions where you have to go away, turn off your mobile phone, which is really bizarre, and, and literally just, um, just be with the Lord. And God just did a number on me in so many ways. It was just fantastic. Um, so I'm kind of coming like really absolutely pumped and excited. So I'm going to have to try really hard not to talk for way too long tonight. So I might get cracking into it. Um, we have been talking for the last, for two weeks previous, and this is the third and final week of this series, which is called Culture of Peace. Um, two weeks ago, Phil introduced the topic, and he ch- chatted a little bit about this idea of conflict resolution and how we can do that well. Um, last week, Kath um, talked about owning your side of the conflict, which is really important. Uh, and tonight we're kind of we're sort of bringing it bringing it full circle, and we're talking about how is it that we actually do this in practice. What does the Bible have to say about not just resolving conflict, but what does the Bible say about um, our picture of having a healthy, um, flourishing culture of peace? Um, and we're gonna we're gonna kind of dive into some practical stuff shortly, but I wanted to. I know, I know this is week three, but I want to re, really reinforce for us um, why are we talking about this? What is, what, like, what's the felt need that we're addressing when we're talking about conflict resolution and having a culture of peace? What, like, like, why spend three weeks uh, of our lives talking about conflict resolution? Um, the answer is, I will actually want to answer it by showing you a sign. Uh, and this is a sign, this isn't the actual one, this is a picture I found on the internet, but I drove past this church a few weeks ago, and I saw they had their church sign said, don't let Christians put you off Jesus. Now, to be fair to them, I see what they're doing. Um, it's, uh, in some ways, it's a little bit of a humorous, maybe, no, no, not really, but it, in, in some ways, it's a little bit humorous, but, but I, see, I see what they're trying to say, but to me, it just kind of broke my heart. Because for me, this says that the world thinks that we suck at being nice to people. You know, in John 13, Jesus says that the world will know that we are Jesus' disciples by the way that we love one another. And that sign, to me, says that we're not doing a great job of that as, as the church in general. Um, now, I think at Northridge, um, we... Potentially, my self-assessment is that in general, we actually do a little bit better um, than society would expect at loving one another, that we have a culture that's pretty attractive, 
Um, Now, that's primarily due to the work of the Holy Spirit in us, but it's also partly um, due to the legacy and and the way that Phil and Kath have pastored um, and, and nurtured this church and the culture that they've set right from the beginning. But I still think we have so much left to learn. And the reason that we're talking about this, the reason that we're banging on about conflict resolution, the reason that we run things like the PeaceWise course that many of us have done um, is because of that. What would, what would it be like if we were a community that loved each other so well that people saw that and went, oh my goodness, who are they and how do I get that? You know, what would it be like if people just drawn into our community, if people walked in the door and just had this overwhelming sense of the love that we have for one another? You know what? If Jesus said that the world will know we're his disciples by the way we love one another, if he says that, then it must be possible. It's not, he hasn't given us an impossible task. So how do we get there? If you have a Bible, um, why don't you open it up? Uh, we're going to be talking about Matthew 18 tonight. And I'm very intentionally not going to give you any context. Normally while you turn there, that's the bit where I fill in the, uh, the blanks of the context. But I'm intentionally not going to give you any context to start with. I'm just going to take my jacket off while you turn there. So Matthew 18, now we're starting at verse 15. And I'm going to read from the NIV. The subtitle is Dealing with Sin in the Church. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Isn't it interesting that that last verse, that's the one we love to use when we talk about church and God's presence, but it's actually in a passage that's all about dealing with sin. It's interesting, isn't it? We'll, we'll come back there a little bit later. Um, now, I intentionally didn't give you any context because I want to ask, where could you take this passage without context? Let me tell you what this passage could read as at face value. Ando, where are you? Up the back. Ando, I know about your secret sin. I, uh, you've been caught. So I'm going to go to Ando, and I'm going to say, mate, I know about your secret sin. You better stop. And uh, if he doesn't listen to me, I might tell one or two other people, and I'll, I'll go to Ando and say, Ando, I've told these people about your secret sin. Now all of us know. Are you going to stop now? And uh, if he still doesn't listen, I'll get up on a Sunday, and at the start of my sermon, I'll say, Ando... I know about your secret sin, and then I'll tell everyone about Ando's secret sin. And then if he still doesn't repent of his secret sin, then we'll kick him out of the church. Now, I'm, I'm trying to make light of this, but this is what people do with this passage. I was doing some research for a talk uh, a few weeks back, and uh, 
And, and, and I came across an article. It was a, a transcribed podcast from someone's Sunday service. And the content of their Sunday message was standing up and revealing to the congregation uh, about one of their, one of their members' uh, marital affair. And that was the content of the sermon. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't really feel like the love of Jesus. That doesn't really kind of read like godly conflict resolution. Um, and maybe it's just me, but that's, that's not how I read this passage. But if you take it like that, um, if you take it out of context, that's what can happen. So what is this passage actually trying to say? Well, context becomes really helpful, and it's a great example of how reading passages out of context can be really unhelpful. Well, first of all, if you've got your actual Bible there and you've read on, you might have noticed that the next thing that happens is that the Apostle Peter asks a question. Um, and Hang on, we'll get to that in a second. Uh, the first thing I want you to notice is actually... Um, in the, if, you're, if you're reading in the NIV, it says, if your brother or sister sins, and then there's a little footnote, and you look at the footnote, and it says, some manuscripts say sins against you. So if a brother or sister sins against you, now if it sins against you, it makes it less about Ando's secret sin, and it makes it more of a conflict resolution issue, doesn't it? And if you read the New Living Translation, it says, if another believer sins against you, the KJV says, moreover, if your brother or sister sins against you, uh, and then the message uh, is a lot longer, and so it's on the next page. Um, but, <laughs> but the, the, you know, it, it's really important to know what it's actually trying to say, and those few words can actually really change the meaning, can't it? Now, some manuscripts, I'll, I'll give you, if you're not convinced by the some manuscripts part, that's where this, the next thing, the, the question that Peter asks becomes really important. Um, Peter, um, in the next passage, he says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? So if, if, the, if this passage is actually about Ando's secret sin, then forgiveness isn't really the issue at hand, is it? If this is a, conflict, a passage that's about conflict resolution, then that question becomes very relevant. And then Jesus goes on to tell this parable, the par I'll let you read it in your own time, but the parable of the unmerciful servant and how important it is to forgive others if God has forgiven us. So that's what comes after. What comes before, we sang about it tonight, it's the parable of the lost sheep. So if this passage is all about dealing with people's uh, sin and bringing it before the church and then eventually kicking them out of the church... Why does Jesus talk about forgiveness afterwards? And why does he talk about God's pursuit of every single person before it? It's just a total non sequitur. And Jesus doesn't do a lot of them. So how do we interpret this passage instead? Well, let's, let's take it as a conflict resolution passage. So the first thing that Jesus says is go directly to the person involved. Now, our tendency and what we tend to do uh, in Western culture is if someone does something to offend or hurt us, there's, there's two things that we'll normally do. The first one is that we'll go and tell all of our friends about it and how bad that person is. And the technical word we have for that is gossip. The other thing that we can do is we can withdraw, um, push it under the carpet uh, and, and pretend it, 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 it's, it's gone. 
And, you know, like Phil said two weeks ago, there are some cases for smaller issues where sometimes overlooking can be helpful. So I'm not saying never overlook, but sometimes we can just push it under the rug and then something else happens and we push it under the rug and it gets worse and worse and worse and then it all comes out. What Jesus says is to go directly to the person. Don't talk to other people. Don't push it under the rug. Go to them and ask them about it. I want to illustrate this. It can be quite hard to find good personal examples of conflict resolution. Um, but there, I want to tell you a brief story about a time that um, I did this with one of my friends. So, and Jimmy's given me position, uh, permission to, to talk about this one. Um, we, so Jimmy and I are out cycling with a few of the guys. We go to coffee after the ride, which is what we normally do. Uh, and then we're, we're doing a bit of banter. We're giving each other a bit of grief. And um, Jimmy said something, sort of jokingly, but, and he couldn't have possibly known this, but it sort of spoke to something that was happening in the background in my life. And for that reason, it, it kind of really stung. Um, and so I sort of went home, and, and I kind of I tried to let it go, but it kind of sat there in the background. And, it sat, and, and I was like, no, no, no. It's, he, he couldn't have possibly known the, the full story of that, so I'm just going to let it go. But it kind of sat there. And so... Uh, I decided to chat to him about it, and it wasn't, mate, how dare you? What an awful thing to say. I, we, we went out cycling about a week later, and I, I just said, hey, man, I just, I just wanted to let you know, and you couldn't have possibly known this, but when you said this thing, um, I've got this going on in the background, uh, and, and for that reason, that really hurt. I just wanted to bring that to you and, and let you know. Like, I'm not, I'm not upset with you. I don't hate you, but I just wanted to bring that out into the open um, rather than letting it sit there. Now, Jimmy would have been well within his rights to say, well, you know, like, I, I didn't really mean it, and, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't that big a deal, and I didn't know, so... Um, but that's not what he said. You know, the thing that he re- responded to me with, actually, this, from the whole, whole incident, this is the only reason I still remember it, is because his response was so gracious. The first thing he did was he owned it. He said, mate, I'm so sorry. He acknowledged the issue directly. He said... I didn't realise that was going on for you, but now that I do, I wouldn't say that again. Um, And I'm really sorry if I've hurt you, and I hope you'll forgive me. And you know what happened is this thing that could have potentially damaged our relationship made it a whole lot better. What happened to my trust level? It went from here to up here. Because when you can bring something so vulnerable to a person and they receive it so graciously, it takes what the enemy was trying to use to destroy our friendship and it makes our friendship stronger. And that's what healthy conflict resolution can do. When we're doing the stuff that Jesus says in this passage, it makes a massive difference in our relationship. It builds up our communities. When you go straight to the person involved, it addresses the issue, and in many cases, it just solves it straight away. Now, Jesus is obviously aware... um, or actually, there's one other thing I wanted to say on that, and that's specifically in in the context of church and with church leadership. Um, we do a survey every year, and there are two reasons we do the survey. The first one is because it's really helpful to get a little bit of data um, that gives us some you know, holistic information about our church, um, how things are going, where we can improve. And um, we did that a few weeks ago. The data should hopefully be coming out this week, so keep an eye on your inbox. But that's sort of secondary. Actually, the, the, the main reason that we started doing this survey, and we keep doing it, um, is because... Jen and I really want everyone in this community to know that feedback is very important to us. It's it's a way of demonstrating um, and proving to everyone that we are approachable and we are interested in hearing how things are going. 
So, you know, Australians, we don't always have the best relationship with leadership. Uh, we don't always love leaders well. Um, we, Jen and I, I it's, it's worth saying, feel incredibly loved by our community. So we thank you guys for that. But we, we do that survey because we want you to know that if you have a problem or if you have feedback, we would love you to come and share it with us. We're not going to shut down your idea. If your idea is terrible, then we're going to receive it graciously. Um, if your idea is fantastic, we'll probably try and put it into action because like, that's the culture we want to have. We want to have this culture of feedback. So anyway, that was slightly tangential, coming back to the passage. So Jesus was fully aware that in some circumstances, um, going directly to the person isn't going to necessarily solve the problem. Um, it turns out in conflict that sometimes people have different perspectives on things. And so Jesus' advice here is really helpful. He says, take one or two others along and see if you can resolve it that way. Now, from experience, what Jesus, I don't think Jesus is saying, if you and your mate are having an argument, get your best buddies along to come and back you up. I mean, you can certainly do that. It means you'll probably win the argument, but it means you'll probably lose the friendship. A much better way to do this is to find someone who is outside the issue um, someone who loves both parties equally and bring them along and, and what they can do is help you to see both sides of the argument. It's a really helpful um, way to do that. Um, it's also really important at this stage that you, you get someone involved who you can trust so that it stays within the circle. Um, the, the next point about if it's still not resolved with one or two others coming along, bringing it to the church, I think this is where... Um, churches have really got into trouble in the past. It's not like, oh, well, we couldn't solve it with a mediator, so we're just going to spill it to the church now and see what happens. I think what Jesus is trying to say here is he's trying to say, bring, like, kind of pass it up, up the chain. Pass it to trusted leaders and, and people of authority within your community who can deal with it on a community level. Because when an argument or a disagreement gets to that point, it starts to affect more than just the... Have you, have you ever seen that before? It starts to affect more than just the people involved, doesn't it? So getting the church structure involved can be really helpful. Um, but I don't think this model that Jesus is providing, I don't think he's trying to say, in every conflict, I need you to do it exactly this way. I would say that Jesus' model here um, is descriptive rather than prescriptive, if that makes sense. So what... What is the heart behind this passage? What is he really trying to get um, into our minds when it comes to resolving conflict? I think there are three things, um, and they're going to come up on the screen. But the first one is, I, I kind of think at the heart of this discussion, if you can just pop it up on the screen, Josh. I think at the heart of this discussion, it is a concept that when conflict happens, it's a really good idea to keep it as close as possible for as long as possible. We want to keep conflict within the circle for as long as we possibly can. You know, churches fall apart over this stuff. Large, significant churches doing amazing kingdom work have fallen apart, have crumbled because of unresolved conflict that was dealt with badly. Word gets out, people take sides, and the whole thing splits and falls apart. You know, when we're approaching conflict, whether it's a small deal or a big deal, um, I think Jesus is trying to say, don't get people involved who don't need to be involved. 
Don't, don't spread it around. Don't gossip. Keep it as close as possible for as long as possible. The next thing that I think Jesus is trying to point out here is that we should be desiring, genuinely desiring reconciliation, not vindication. I think so often when we come into an argument, we come in with this perspective of, of I'm right and you're wrong. And for us, a resolved conflict, we, we kind of naturally think that that means proving that we're right. Whereas what Jesus is saying is you need to genuinely desire reconciliation. You know that verse um, sort, of, sort of in the middle there, it's where he says, uh, you know, if you've taken it to the church and the person still won't listen, then treat them as you would a, a sinner or a tax collector. You know that verse? How did Jesus treat sinners and tax collectors? We sang about it tonight. It's no shadow you won't uh, light up, mountain you won't climb up. No wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. That's how Jesus treats sinners and tax collectors. He pursues them. He loves them. He prays for them. He cares for them. His desire for every sinner and tax collector is reconciliation. Sometimes things get a little out of hand, and that's where you give it over to God, and you say, God, I desire for reconciliation, and I need your help with it. Now, the final thing... Uh, the final principle that I think Jesus is trying to put out here um, is that he wants us to protect people's dignity. It's not about outing Ando's secrets into the church. He wants us to protect relationships and he wants us to protect communities. You know, the church, believe it or not, is actually God's one and only plan A for the, the salvation of his creation. Like, this is, this is actually God's plan. Like, he, he, he doesn't have another one. He, he kind of needs us to build community. He needs us to invite other people in. He needs us to do the work of the kingdom. Now, wouldn't it be handy if this kind of information was readily available? If it was, uh, you know, clearly laid out biblical principles for reconciliation? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, Phil and Kath and the board spent quite some time working on this document. It's called Pathways to Reconciliation. You can download it on our website. It's a 12-page document that takes you through biblical um, conflict resolution. And I've got four or five copies that are printed here at the front. Uh, It's also available in soft copy online. But if you find you're really struggling with this, um, get your hands on this and it'll help you find out what to do. I really, really want to encourage that. Now, in wrapping up, there's just a few more things I want to touch on. The first one uh, is that everything that I've talked about and everything we have talked about as a community on the last three weeks, um, it's, it's important to know that when we're not really addressing extreme circumstances here. We're talking about how do we do life together. And Phil said this uh, two weeks ago, but I just want to repeat it, um, that first of all, um, there's nothing in the Bible, and our church certainly doesn't condone staying, people staying in situations of abuse. It's really important that you hear me say that. Um, secondly, uh, we're not talking about things that involve criminal activity. Um, and finally, I think it's really important to acknowledge that in many situations of conflict, there's a serious power imbalance. 
Um, and it's also really, really important to, um, to address them because we don't ever want to be a community of people that discriminates uh, against other people. But I want to finish um, this talk and also wrap up the series because we've talked a lot about conflict resolution, haven't we? And I think that's really important. We want to be an emotionally healthy community, right? Um, but I want to finish by um, not concluding thoughts on conflict resolution, but I want to paint a picture of what it looks like um, to be an emotionally healthy community, uh, to be a community that does this well. Uh, now, you may have heard me read uh, this passage before. Uh, it's from Acts 2. 42 to 47. And you might be sick of me reading this passage, but what I've decided is, has anyone memorized it? Acts 2, 42 to 47? No? Okay, I'm like about a third of the way there and then I stop, but um, we're going to keep talking about this and reading this passage out loud until everyone in the community's memorized it. Um, but it, it, this passage I'm about to read is this fantastic picture of biblical, healthy, emotionally healthy community. Now, People often kind of idolise the early church. We look, at the, um, we look at Acts 2 community and we think, well, they, just, they had it all sorted. They didn't have time to have any problems because you know, the Holy Spirit had just been poured out and all this kind of thing. But most of the New Testament uh, is Paul addressing conflict within the church, right? It wasn't, it wasn't dreamy. In fact, I think we have, in some ways, uh, a lot better than the early church did. Um, but this picture that we get in Acts 2, it's what community was like immediately after the Holy Spirit was poured out. So I'm going to read this now, and I'm going to make some comments on the way. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And the key word in that verse is this word devoted. They gave themselves to listening to what um, their teachers had to say, to meeting together um, to remembering Jesus and to praying together. When was the last time you got together intentionally to pray with someone from the community? Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. You know, community is built over shared space, over shared time. It's not just about getting together on a Sunday. It's about getting together during the week as well. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What an outrageous concept. Selling property and possessions to give to those who were in need. Their generosity was incredible. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. We have this sense that they were, they were doing spiritual activities together in the temple courts together, but they were also just meeting together in their home, eating food together, celebrating community, practicing hospitality. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And this is where it all comes together. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, Jesus in John 13, he says, The world will know you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. And this is that happening. People in, I love the way the message translates it. It says, People in general liked what they saw. It's this sense that the people who were surrounding this early church were looking in and saying, Man, whatever they have, I want that. Because the way they love each other is profound. And if Jesus said it was possible in John 13, 
And if they did it, I believe we can do it too. Would, be, would we be a community that would be willing to pursue that? It's possible to be an emotionally healthy community. It's possible. I can see a day where people look at that church sign that I put up at the start and they go, what's that all about? That doesn't make sense. Wouldn't that be incredible? Let's stand.